1031 at the Joy FM. Good morning to you. I'm Tim Nixon. With me on the line from California is Dr. Greg Bonson. And Dr. Bonson is the scholar in residence of the Southern California Center for Christian Studies. And you're an associate pastor, Dr. Bonson, of an Orthodox Presbyterian Church in California. That's right. You are going to be coming this weekend, as a matter of fact, to the the Lord Our Shepherd Conference, which is going to be the fifth annual Bible conference of the First Presbyterian Church in Northport, Florida. And uh, people can get involved with that if they'd like. But uh, some of your, some of the interest, I suppose, would be in some of the work you have done. And uh, that in particular, with some of the books you've authored. And one of the things that jumps out at me that I'd like to talk about is your debating atheists and agnostics and uh, your title known as a defender of the faith. Have you done this uh, in the media, like on radio or TV or in a public forum or what? Yeah, a number of different um, avenues for getting the word out and defending the truth of God's word have been afforded to me over the last few years in my ministry. I have uh, debated atheists and uh, Muslims and uh, evolutionists, abortionists in um, university settings, public settings like that. Um, but there's also been a number of opportunities for dialogue on the radio, either with um, writers of books promoting atheism or uh, call-in formats where people want to uh, challenge the faith and get answers and those sorts of things, and occasionally on the television as well. So the Lord's opened a number of doors for that, and um, in every case, uh, not, not because of his uh, servants, uh, ability, but because of his grace and goodness, uh, we're glad to say that his word comes out vindicated. Mm -hmm. It shows that you've been all over the United States at various seminaries and colleges and universities. Is that where your emphasis is? Uh, yes. The study center uh, offers correspondence courses and a number of uh, seminars that I teach, but I also do a good deal of traveling. That's why I'm coming to Florida this weekend to do conferences. And uh, we have the opportunity, as I travel around, to get involved in these various um, opportunities to defend the faith as well. Mm -hmm. How do you defend the faith when it's someone who, obviously, is, you, you use Scripture as a basis, and they say, well, I don't believe in the Bible? Well, of course, that's, that's the uh, situation when we uh, deal with unbelievers who tell us that... Uh, what we believe as Christians doesn't have a foundation because they don't believe the Bible. I, I liken that to someone who says, I can't possibly have cancer because I don't believe in cancer or I don't believe that I have cancer. The fact is, the, the truth is not going to be affected one way or another by what people believe. And so, having pointed that out to them, I usually go on and, and indicate that while we have our convictions about the nature of this world and man's place in it and how we should live our lives and how we know what we know, that the unbeliever likewise has a philosophy of life. And that philosophy of life can be easily criticized, in fact, given what unbelievers say about the world and how they know what they know, it turns out that they would be unable to, uh, to know anything at all. In the Proverbs, we read that we should answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceits. And so we take the, the foolish uh, outlook of the unbeliever and take it back to them, answer according to their folly, show that their philosophy leads, leads them really to despair and to the inability to know anything at all. Dr. Bonson, um, all right, I believe in Jesus because I know he's in my heart. The other person says, well, I don't believe in Jesus, and I believe that from my heart. 
I don't believe the Bible from my heart, but I do believe the Bible from my heart. And pretty soon it's my opinion versus your opinion. In your opinion, Dr. Bonson, is there a, an outline? Is there a structure? Is there something that as a believer the layman can pick up on, can use as a foundation for his belief to share it with people who are unbelievers? Is that part of your program? Yes, absolutely. In fact, a good deal of the uh, the tape ministry that we have and the courses that we have developed um, are designed to take uh, a person from scratch and teach them how they can interact with the unbeliever, give a testimony to their faith, and answer the questions that come up. Obviously, a testimony about, you know, Jesus in my heart is a wonderful part of uh, witnessing but that's not a defense of the faith. As you've indicated, the unbeliever can say, well, from my heart, I don't believe. What Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, actually in the form of a rhetorical question and challenge, was where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Paul said you can talk to people about their philosophy of life, and if you ask them the right questions and point them in the right direction, they'll have to see the foolishness of what they are doing. If you have somebody who tells you that uh, he only believes what he can see with his own eyes or touch with his hands or hear and so forth, he says, I don't believe anything except what comes into contact with my senses, then we can ask just very simply the question, well, did you, with your senses, with your hands, with your eyes or ears, did you, did you come into contact with the truth that you can only know what your senses tell you? It turns out that that philosophy destroys itself, it undermines itself, because he did not observe or have physical contact with the truth that we can only know what our senses tell us. And if he tells us there are no moral absolutes, we are able to, to say, well, can we settle this dispute then by my taking out a gun and shooting you and winning the argument? He's obviously going to say, no, it's not right for you to try to win an argument with violence. You're going to say, well, but... In your worldview, where there is no God and there are no absolutes, why shouldn't that be allowed? Now, there are questions like that, leading questions, where we can show that the unbeliever doesn't have any foundation on which to stand, and that God has revealed himself so clearly and thoroughly throughout the created order and in the scriptures that um, there's one worldview that can make sense out of science. There is a worldview that can make sense out of morality, and that happens to be what Christianity is all about. Dr. Greg Bonson, uh, you obviously, as you have just shared, can, can you have something for the, the beginner in defending their faith, but you also have gone quite deep in theonomy and uh, Christian ethics. You have uh, a tape series in postmillennialism, an overview of postmillennialism and chronology of history and an awful lot of of this type of thing for the serious Bible student who's advanced. And I'd like to know for this, uh, the Lord Our Shepherd conference schedule, will, be there's, will there be something for the new people in Christianity, those who are just beginning to start their study in the relationship, or is this primarily for people who are already in the ministry and perhaps have a fundamental basis from which to work? No, the, uh, the Lord Our Shepherd series is actually uh, directed at all of God's people. It's not an advanced course in uh, theological um, or sophisticated truths for, as you say, um, ministerial students or whatever. It really is an appeal to the heart to know the character of our God, especially to know that character when we go through difficult times, when we're in distress, when we feel that we're being afflicted. Um, 
to know his love that uh, goes searching for the lost sheep and gently takes care of him and, and provides for him. So, no, this is going to be for all of God's people, and I trust that they'll find it a, a comfort and an encouragement. All right, the conference is The Lord, Our Shepherd, and it is Friday evening and Saturday evening, and then Sunday morning and Sunday evening at the First Presbyterian Church, and that's with Pastor George Crocker on Biscayne Drive in Northport, Florida. We have phone numbers here at the radio station. If you'd like, uh, you can contact us. But Dr. Greg Bonson will be the featured speaker. And is there, uh, I see no, no fees or anything on here. And I assume since it's a Sunday morning, Sunday evening thing as well, that that is, at least that part is open to the public. I'm sure that all of it is, yes. Okay. We encourage any of your hearers to come out, uh, uh, whatever their background, Presbyterian or not, I'm sure that they'll find God's Word ministers to their hearts. Yes. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. Bonson. Thanks and, for having me on. Well, I appreciate it, and there, there are other questions that I'd love to get into personally, but it's like we don't have the time to do it. We'll you, do that sometime. Okay. You have been from Florida before. Uh, yes, I have. You taught at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando? Uh, not in Orlando, in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay, so um, the fact that they're here, they're also over there. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Dr. Greg Bonson, and we invite you to be part of it. If you'd like to know more about the Lord, our Shepherd Conference schedule, you make sure you call us here. We'll have phone numbers and the people to put you in contact with, all right? Guest with us uh, today on our program? Pastor George Crocker of the First Presbyterian Church of Northport and Dr. Greg L. Bonson of California. And I didn't catch the particular city. Irvine, down Ir in Southern Irvine. California. Southern California. Let's make that Southern California. Well, nice to have you with us. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure being here. I'd like to say that Dr. Bonson is an ordained minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and presently a scholar in residence at the Southern California Center for Christian Studies He's a debater and debates um, quite uh, often, I guess, um, um, atheists, agnostics, and uh, he has written many books, one of which we'll be discussing today, and the title of which is Homosexuality, a Biblical View. And let's see, we're going to um, probably start off this program always with, why did you write the book? Okay. Well, I'm glad you asked that because um, the subject of homosexuality is not of particularly great interest to me. And um, because God has saved me and changed my heart, uh, not because of any particular goodness or righteousness in me, but because I do follow the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the subject is actually rather repulsive. I, I find that it's not only something that's abominable to God, but it's abominable to his people, too, yes. to the degree that our hearts are right with him. So anyway, I did not have any particular fascination or interest in the subject, but um, in the mid-70s, I saw so many people having sound bites on the evening news and being interviewed in uh, newspaper articles and writing books and so forth, saying that, you know, we've really been wrong about the Bible all along. It doesn't actually condemn homosexuality. Um, that's what actually motivated the writing of the book. I was just aggravated by that because I thought it was dishonest. I thought it was not... Um, 
uh, t it was not being fair to people who cannot read the original languages of scripture or who have, don't have advanced education, who don't know about the field of psychology or whatever it may be. Uh, people were coming along saying, well, these ignorant fundamentalists, they, they think the Bible <laughs> condemns homosexuality and it doesn't. Now, so in my book, what I tried to do is to show what the Bible actually teaches and how it interacts with modern scholarship and issues like uh, uh, should it be a crime, how should the church deal with it, and so forth. And I fully expect that people who, who are homosexuals or sympathetic to that will read the book and say, okay, the Bible teaches those things, and I think the Bible's wrong. Now, I happen to think the Bible's right, and I'm willing to debate its truth and that sort of thing. But I didn't write the book so much to make people believe the things I do about homosexuals or what the Bible teaches, but mainly uh, to stop these uh, liberal scholars from misleading God's people by saying, you know, if you, really, if you really knew what was going on here, you wouldn't say the Bible teaches those things. It does teach those things, and then on top of it, I happen to think it's right. Well, that's great to, to hear that, and uh, uh, certainly a, a much-needed book right for the time. Isn't that uh, correct, uh, Pastor Crocker? Right. As a pastor, we uh, uh, not only find books like that invaluable, even though we know that uh, the Scriptures say that homosexuality is a sin and it needs to be preached against, but I think it also helps us to, to uh, communicate that to our people and to direct them to a, a source that they can read and say, see, you know, this is a, a good source for to use. Absolutely. And we're going to get into how timely this book just is. One of the questions that seem to pop up um, by the liberal side of the fence um, uh, quite often in their defense, and they use this, try to use this in their defense, which I feel is quite poor when we have uh, our, our Bible, we have our roadmap, we have our rules and regulations to life, and that is uh, the question of, uh, do we have unlimited right to do with our bodies as we please? That seems to be their scenario there. Well, I, I would say, John, that if, um, that if I own something, if I own a tree on a piece of property, that I have a right to do with that tree what I want. I can cut it down, I can harvest apples from it if it's an apple tree, whatever. I can decorate it, I can do what I want. So you can understand why the unbeliever, thinking analogously to when I own a tree or a car or whatever, I can do what I want, the unbeliever says, well, I own my body, I can do what I want. And that's where we as Christians say, but you see, that's the mistaken premise. You don't own your body. God created you, and uh, you must live for his glory. We have come into this world not by chance. We've not come into this world to define our own meaning or purpose. We've come into this world as creatures of God who are supposed to live for his glory. The Bible also teaches, um, and I thank God for this, that in living for his glory, we get our own personal satisfaction. So it's not as though God just demands, 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 and there's nothing in it for us. It turns out that we're perfectly fulfilled when we live for him. So I would say to the homosexual or to the adulterer, whatever it may be, you don't own your body. God does, and you must serve him with your body. In the New Testament, Paul makes a specific point in the book of 1 Corinthians that Christians are not to live in fornication, he says, because you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. Mm -hmm. Over and above the doctrine of creation, there's the doctrine of redemption. And those who um, have been bought back by the precious blood of Christ need now to use their bodies to glorify him in the way that we were originally created to do. So we can't get into this whole line of thought that says, I can do whatever I want with my body. 
And there are certain absurdities that would follow from that, too. Can I drive a car with my body so that I run over other people? Do I have the right to do anything I want with my body? Even unbelievers don't go that far. Very good. The question here um, was put forth here just recently. What would you say the percentage of our culture uh, that uh, comes under the title of uncritical perpetuation of cultural prejudices uh, despite uh, exposed open-mindedness and neutralized or neutral bias? What would you say the percentage is today? The percentage of our culture that is under the grip of prejudice without a critical mindset about it? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not real optimistic. I, yeah. I don't have any studies. I can't speak scientifically. My feeling is a good 90%, maybe more, but I mean at least 90% of our culture. Um, and, and I say this with love and compassion for my Christian brothers and sisters, but John, the, the fact of the matter is many Christians don't think. They, they don't look at an issue and study it, um, and they're easily swayed by the sound bites on the evening news and the way that the popular media sets things up. Um, and we shouldn't be that way. Paul says we're not supposed to be blown around by every wind of doctrine that comes along. We need to be critically minded and to, to try the spirits, as John says. Amen to that. You talk about certain uh, questionable assumptions in ethics, the human sciences and political thought uh, have misled our society toward tolerance for homosexuality in personal and uh, church and even civil uh, spheres. Um, you, you mentioned the news media just recently. Um, how has that, uh, has that uh, changed the mindset of, of most Americans today, and, and Christians as well, for that matter? Well, if you go back to um, the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, you pick it, um, you would not have heard homosexuality referred to in the media. It was considered um, uh, a disgusting subject, uh, a subject that is not appropriate for uh, popular discussion, I mean open uh, discussion in the, in the population. And so it wouldn't even be on radio or TV when TV finally came around. And now in our day, I don't know that you can go through a day and watch the news and not get something on the subject. But it's not just that it's come out so that now it's respectable enough to discuss, but what is coming out is the constant point of view that there are people who are hateful, who are uh, bigots, who are narrow-minded, who are biased, who are uneducated. Uh, they represent the people that are against homosexuality. And then homosexuals are portrayed as people that have suffered a great deal. They're very uh, kind. All they want are the same rights that everybody else has. They just don't want people to get down on them for a lifestyle they've chosen that's an alternative. And then this is the topper. And after all, homosexuality is victimless. I mean, apart from homosexual rape, which um, that community doesn't, you know, um, endorse and so forth, uh, they'd say when two people consent to engage in a homosexual act, no one's being hurt by that. And so you hear that over and over and over again, and God's people start thinking, well, maybe it's not such a disgusting thing. You know, we can talk about this, and, and these people, um, well, we're told the psychologists say they're born that way. I mean, there's not a study yet that will demonstrate that, but I'll bet that if you ask the vast majority of people in the church, they would, they'd edge toward the idea that homosexuals have some kind of biological or built-in mechanism that makes them different from other people. That's just because we've heard that lie over and over and over again. Very good. 
I'm going to touch upon that uh, that question as one of many questions I have here about that uh, thought that uh, you know these folks have been born with this some sort of disorder here, and uh, let's see what the scripture has to say. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, Pastor Crocker, being from Canada, that um, have you seen that same shift? You know, when you were back there, um, like uh, Dr. Um, Bonson has suggested here, the, the swing from the 20s where nothing was said, and now it's quite uh, evident uh, through the uh, television or the media on a regular frequency. Uh, oh, sure. Um, of course, I haven't lived in Canada for a number of years, but when I lived in uh, Toronto for over seven years, that was uh, known to be one of the cities of where homosexuality was mm. uh, flouted, if you would. Um, and I think it's is that we become in, uh, desensitized, I guess would be the proper word, through the media and how to uh, accept them. Is that you used, used to say, well, they can't help it. And they didn't like that word, so now we have to change it. That it's just a, an alternative lifestyle. And even the Christian church is being influenced. Uh, I noticed that, yeah. Um, there's a brother in Christ, I don't want to mention uh, his name, but is well-known uh, with teenagers, uh, believes that we as an evangelical church have a hard time to uh, say that it's a it's a sin, um, but it is it is a sin. It's interesting as Paul says in First Corinthians six, though, that uh, it says in it lists adulterers and fornicators and homosexuals um, cannot enter the kingdom of of heaven, the kingdom of God. But then Paul says, because this is where the hope comes, and such were you, so that there is hope uh, for the homosexual. It is it is great news, and should be great news to them that are on the line and uh, maybe they have uh, fears about uh, uh, crossing over that line uh, maybe they just don't understand there is a way out and most of them don't uh, don't understand that there is a way out and that God has made that possible through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I it, it's crucial though I think to point out that in order to have the good news you have to hear the bad news that's right exactly. there is no good news about deliverance from homosexuality until you admit it's a sin that's right. because God can deal with sinners and sin and turn it around but if you're junk I mean if you're just made that way I mean I say junk from the standpoint if you think homosexuality is bad but if you're just made that way well then what can be done about that that's right and is that seems to be the the brainwashing uh, technique uh, used by so many people out there in media land uh, to condition uh, and even condition the, the Christians now, but they've conditioned the uh, general public that do not know Jesus in a personal way. And now it's starting to cross over into uh, colleges and Christian colleges. Uh, in some cases, I guess you have to use that loosely there, quotation marks. But uh, it's even getting on that level with that type of thinking coming in. So it's a mass uh, drive towards this condition, conditioning of the mind. I will say that, uh, folks, if you have questions concerning this topic and you'd like to address them to Dr. Bonson or, or Pastor Crocker, you can do so by calling in. Our number here is 697-7777. Our secretaries and assistant manager, will <laughs> he's got his hand up, ready to go. He's got the phone in hand. And uh, they'll take down your questions, and uh, they'll uh, bring them in here and we'll be glad to uh, answer those questions you have on homosexuality, a biblical view. Now, there are so many questions out there, and I don't want to hog all these questions here today. If uh, Pastor Crocker has something on his mind that he'd like to, to share with us. Perhaps before he does that, can I interrupt you a sure. second? I know that the time is limited, and uh, maybe some of your hearers... Um, 
of course, I, I'd, I'd be happy if they went out and bought my book and read my book. That'd, That'd be, be nice. That'd be great. <laughs> but um, those who uh, prefer to listen to, you know, uh, a tape or uh, not get as deep into it as a book might require might like to know that I have debated a man who claimed to be a homosexual, a Christian homosexual. Mm-hmm. And in that, I think... What comes out are all of the rationalizations, all the excuses you can imagine, and uh, we go to the Bible and we say, here's what the Bible says on this, and then he gives his attempt to um, explain that away and so forth. And your uh, your hearers may uh, learn a great deal about the nature of the debate today and understand why, even in, as you said, allegedly Christian colleges, um, students are being taught to think we should be tolerant toward homosexuals and so forth. This uh, took place a couple of months ago. Out in Southern California, John Stewart was the moderator of that, and um, we'd be glad to get a copy of that to your hearers if they'll write to us at the Study Center. Um, Do you want to give okay? that address? There? Is that okay with you? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, we're at PO Box one eight zero two one. Yeah, everyone's running to get a pencil and a pen right now, so I'll give you a second. PO Box one eight zero two one, Irvine. I-R-V-I-N-E, Irvine, California, 92713. And if they just mentioned that they heard me on your radio program, uh, we'll get a catalog to them and tape and so forth. Hopefully they can follow up on our discussion today. Very good, Dr. Bonson. Great. And as I was alluding to just earlier, if you have a question, Pastor, <laughs> jump right in here and uh, and ask away here. Now, I, I like, uh, as, as, since we're still on, on the subject, I think what you mentioned in your book, and what I kind of alluded to by in First Corinthians six nine and following, uh, I, I think if we as a church become desensitized to the issue, and don't treat it as sin, that or adultery, what have you, and just say that it's a uh, sexual preference, because uh, some in the church will say we're not showing compassion. Um, but what is compassion? Whether we're warning someone's house is burning down or just walk by, I love that person, That's so right. I'm not going to wake them up, their house is burning down. How do we as a church, how are we to respond to, I mean, because more difficult, I think, I find myself as a pastor in order to stand up and, and claim it, uh, as the scripture says we're to do, at the same time show the compassion of scriptures and God's grace. Yeah, we are automatically labeled as homophobic if we condemn it, morally condemn it. Um, I like to say when I'm publicly speaking on the subject and I'm accused of that, I'm not homophobic, I'm homo-repulsive. And um, it's not a matter of my being fearful of latent homosexuality. I, mean, I, find, I find it repulsive from a moral standpoint. But the church needs to proclaim more than that homosexuality is ugly and wrong. Obviously, we don't exist just to be self-righteous critics of other people. We exist to proclaim the gospel. And the good news is that homosexuals can be forgiven. Um, That forgiveness requires that they hate their sin. Now, here's where I think the church does come in for some legitimate criticism. We have often, uh, as individuals and as corporate bodies, said people need to repent of their sin, but we seem to be a lot harder on those who are struggling to repent of and turn away from homosexuality than, say, the gossipers, mm. you know, in our, in our group, or even the adulterers, you know. And homosexuals are sensitive to that and rightly point out, well, you let all this adultery go on in your congregation, what's the big deal about being a homosexual? 
And uh, the answer to that is we need to clean up our act all the way down the line. But we also need to extend to um, repentant homosexuals the same kind of counseling and encouragement and prayer and help that we try to extend to other sinners. If you had a reformed alcoholic in your congregation, you wouldn't condemn him because he struggles with that sin. You'd say, keep struggling. We're praying for you, brother. And